Welcome, gentlemen, ladies, audience listeners, to another episode of Herks and Jerks. Yep, I know we were just at the corner of nostalgia and reality, but we couldn't get all of the gunk off of everything, so we've come around another few blocks down to the corner of Herk and Jerk. My second favorite corner, where we take one piece of Hercules movie or TV past and give it a gander and then decide if it's Herks, Herks and Jerks, or... Hey, as long as we don't have to give it a goose. A jerk movie. If it's a goose movie, wouldn't that be Top Gun? I don't know. Is it titled or untitled? Because then it might be a game. Goose Hunt? You had mentioned taking a piece, and this movie certainly is that. It is definitely a piece. The movie we are talking about is the 2014 Dwayne Johnson Hercules movie. Yep. He directed, wrote it, and starred in every role. I think he just flexed in this movie, appeared. This movie was a treat in a variety of different ways. The first is that it is the second Hercules movie to be released in 2014. How weird is that? Directed by Brett Ratner and written by Ryan J. Condal. And I had to actually sit there like the night before we recorded this and kind of run the last name through my brain a little bit. Evan Spiliotopoulos. That's a name. Spiliotopoulos. That's a tongue twister. Do you think he's Spiliotopoulos to heart into this production? <laughs> <laughs> so, a uh, little bit of information before you get into this, Mike. This particular iteration of Hercules is based off of a comic book series by the same name published by Radical Comics. How radical are they? I've never heard of them, so... We'll get into the reason why, but I think they're plenty radical. Are they Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles radical? You might say I've been radicalized by this. <laughs> Uh-oh. I don't know if I like where this is going. I knew it. Manny's been in a cult this whole time. It's probably a cult of Hera, too. Wait, is Christianity a cult? I think it depends on who you ask, my friend. I think any sect of religion or faith can probably fall into cult territory. Yeah, it depends what side of history you're on. True. Only the people that get to write the books make that decision. And I'm not going to be lucky enough to be one of those. History is written by the victors. So let's get down to it. I'm going to do a very quick overview of the plot so we can get into the different scenes and talk about what we liked and didn't like or didn't understand before we go ahead and rate this movie. Screen lights up. Starts a tale about Hercules doing one of his labors, only to find out that it is Aeolus telling a tale while being captured by pirates. Bingo! Hercules shows up on scene, and it's actually with all of his friends. They're pirate hunting. They get paid for catching these pirates. Find out that they're just a bunch of mercenaries. A king comes in and is like, I'll give you 
all this gold if you do this thing for me. Team Herc trains a bunch of puny humans for the king because he needs an army to fight this so-called centaur army or undead army. New army goes out, gets beat up by some baddies. The captured enemy ends up telling Hercules, are you really the baddies for doing all this stuff? Herc goes, hmm, I might be. Finds out he is actually fighting for the baddies. Tries to save the day. King dies after mortal Hercules displays demigod-like power. Triumph. And movie. Oh my god. Yeah, I understand the point of, what, of how you summarize this. But it's like, broad strokes is kind of a loose term for what you just did there. <laughs> You just picked up the bucket and slung it at the wall. You didn't even take the lid off before throwing that paint there. <laughs> Sometimes you look at a Pollock painting and you don't understand what happened. Other times you look at Pollock and you're like, yeah, I see it. Mike's the kind of guy who opens the bottle of wine and doesn't let the tannins settle. <laughs> he just pops the cork and chugs. If my name wasn't Grip It and Rip It... I don't know what it is. It would be Pop and Glop, probably, or something. Ew, no, that, mm, that's no bueno, sir. What would you call a cork coming out of a bottle? That's a pop. Better be a champagne bottle. Well, that makes a much louder pop, but you still get a little bit of a pop with a wine bottle. We're getting in the weeds. So one of the interesting things immediately about this film is it tries to take on the story of Hercules from a more kind of earthly mortal perspective taking the myth out of the ology <laughs> we are left with a very watered down well not watered down per se but a hercules that his labors were just blown up out of proportion because of storytelling and that he accomplished all of these feats with the help of his friends as mike said there's mercenaries there's mercs which i will affectionately be calling him Mercules for this special. Is this episode need to be named Herx and Mercs? Herx and Mercs might be a good one. <laughs> Herx and Jerks, Herx and Mercs. Herx Mercs. Now there it is. It's even better. Because it's Herx Mercs. They're all Mercs together. Team Merc. Her Merc. No, no. Throw that out the window. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we've got a uh... Well, we got a film here. It meets all the qualifiers of being a film. Oh, we're going to have to dig into that comment later. <laughs> Is all the signifiers of a film? <laughs> I'll give my official rating later. I do have good things to say about the film, too. <laughs> was Sonic the Hedgehog the movie good, or was it not, Aaron? <laughs> this is specifically a question to you, because I know Mike's going to spout some bullshit anyway. I, we talk about the original Sonic the Hedgehog film? The Jim Carrey one, live action, Sonic had to get redone. Right, before, yes, the one that fans were in outrage because of Sonic's design. Okay, yes. I enjoyed that film quite a bit for a video game film. Okay. Why, was this by the same director? I'm apparently in the other universe, so Mike, do go on. Welcome, Parallel Manny, to this universe, where people like Sonic the Hedgehog. I hope not to stay here too long. I must go. My planet needs me. Maybe you'll get lucky, and tomorrow you'll be in the real world. <laughs> Your planet needs you. 
Your universe needs you. Universe 297? No, Manny died on the way back to his home planet. Oh, how unfortunate. Well, Hercules didn't die in this movie, unlike his family, which seems to be a reoccurring theme. It seems in this movie, although as you said, Aaron, they toned the mythology down and it was being sold as exactly that, tall tales to inflate fear or prestige for the group, but focusing it on one individual. Because he does seem to do some rather amazing stuff, even though it's not perceived as out of the physical capabilities of a human. Yeah, I think that's one interesting thing the film does. I think it's actually one of its strengths. The film kind of requests that you try to figure out for yourself is... Hercules, in fact, the son of Zeus and thus a demigod? Or is he just a normal man who has an abnormal amount of raw strength? There may be a couple of instances where it is maybe a bit more clear. Like when, I'm going to call this the snake eyes scene. Literal snake eyes that came out of Hera's statue. Never take that statue to Vegas. And Oh, you mean after the very odd, almost full boob shot scene of mom bending over? Like, Yep, I saw him. So weird. Made no sense. When those snakes came out to try to kill young Hercules, a boy, he choked both those snakes out and was seemingly fine. Here's a theme that I see happen a lot in the movie is... That except for near the very end where Hercules displays various actual feats of strength. How about, let's say, over-the-top feats of strength. Every time that they're retelling a story, which includes that scene, that's when we get the overblown mythological Hercules. So I'm not sure that scene counts because it's not actually part of something that's happening. It's a retelling. But I do enjoy that through the overtelling the immortalizing of this image in those cutscenes. They're invoking the actual mythology. I enjoyed that part because it just made it interesting in the aspect of if you look at a lot of these myths of people from a bygone era that we have no actual connection with anymore. You can see how a lot of it is just an overtelling of something simple. And I gotta agree with that. Honestly, I think that's one of the core tenets of the film is the whole time what it's trying to say in presenting all of Hercules' mythological persona and then showing you what happens in the events of the film. It kind of keeps building this story of... Basically, there's always myth, but it's never quite true. It's actually summed up pretty well by Ampharius at the end, where he goes on uh, more or less telling the listener that what makes a hero is them doing heroic things. What I would like to put here as food for thought, which I might revisit as we go down the rest of the outline for this review, is to me... Since every time that they're talking about Hercules' feats, it's always somebody telling the story. Don't you guys think that Ampharius narrating at the very end 
maybe lends itself to say that their whole adventure is also a retelling, which would explain why all of the traveling party is basically so well adept at whatever form of combat they do. It's not because they are actually super gifted in whatever combat. Rather, this whole thing has been a retelling, so it has also gotten that rebuff treatment of making them look more capable than they actually would have been. The embellishment. Yes. I really like that thought because earlier today I indulged in a rewatching of The Legend of Korra, and the episode was about recreating Nuktuk, and the story that the guy told was so over the top and not actually what happened but everybody liked that story way more and got drawn in in comparison to just the facts can we just sort of bask in the fact that all of our protagonists are basically just a D party oh 100 i did enjoy that i did find it interesting the in-movie pronunciation for Iolaus, which in, you know, previous stuff we've discussed, it was pronounced Eolus. So, you know, I feel that that lends itself back to the whole, like, to each their own. Everyone's going to pronounce it, however. He's definitely the bard. <laughs> yes. Also, I feel like Ampharius is probably dual classing and is at least part bard. I can get behind that. Or maybe he was a bard early in life and then was like, hmm, I need to try something different. That was the spear guy, right? Yes. He's the seer of wherever he was from. So yeah, probably some mixture of bard and fighter and... He has to have taken some... Well, I mean, ultimately you could argue that most of them have taken levels in fighter, even Eolus, because he finally picks up a sword after a while. What class is... Rufus Sewell's character. I'm not going to try and pronounce that. Yeah, so I had subtitles turned on during that movie, and every single time it would show like who was talking, I was like, I'm not even going to attempt to try to pronounce that, because I would probably butcher it. He was the one that was all about the money, about the money. He's straight up rogue. Yeah, like, throwing weapons. You know, I just didn't even think about that, because he didn't pick any locks or sneak up on people, but... I get it now, after I said my comment. The woman was clearly a ranger. Hercules clearly a barbarian. Really? I would say Tidius was a barbarian. I thought he was straight up more just like 100% fighter. His whole thing was to like rage and run into combat. Yeah, that's a fair point. And you know what? The fact that Hercules in one scene says whenever he's talking to Atoclius that... He's going to go live in the wilderness. And then he was like, oh, what are we going to do about Tidius? And Herc was like, oh, I'm going to take him with me. It's probably because they were both dual-classing fighter barbarian. It's just one of them's more barbarian than the other. That's a good way to put it. It's like he lives in a rage. I wonder if Herc was more maybe paladin barbarian? You know, that's perfectly reasonable because, again, you have to account for his charisma. He's got a hard charisma stat. Yeah, he does. He's got a massive charisma stat. Charisma poisoning. We can at least agree that charisma was definitely not one of his dump stats. Yeah, definitely not. I don't think he had any dump stats because he was savvy on the battlefield, but also 
wise, aside from being stubborn about dealing with one part of his life, you know, being drugged. I don't fault him for not remembering and having issues handling a situation where he may or may not have killed his family. He doesn't know because he was drugged. Here's the thing, though, is he keeps falling for these deceptions. So I'm going to say intelligence was his dump stat. He has a sturdy wisdom. Okay. But his intelligence is probably a bit low. But again, we're getting a retelling. So of course he's not going to be as bumble-footed as he actually probably was. And in telling a story, something that always makes people fall into that world is to give them a human touch in the storytelling itself. If somebody stumbles and trips or face plants, it gives them that extra human quality and draws people in more to the story and are willing to take the extra tweaks to the facts. Which, to its credit, I always enjoy watching an ensemble accomplish something that I do just one single hero. And when we were doing the Legendary Journeys, of course, Hercules always had Aeolus by his side. It was kind of his constant companion. Yeah. But at this, he had a much bigger entourage of mercenaries. And I think it helped. It also, I think, helped with the embellishing of the story of why Hercules' accomplishments were so much grander because everyone just thought he was doing all these things by himself when in fact if you watch the credit sequence it shows in kind of like art styles oh yeah him doing all the labors all the labors but like you see where everyone pitched in the archer the archers in the tree and yeah it was it took a village to do all these things i think that's probably one of my favorite things about this film is how it really is the ensemble doing most of the feats even just within the story not just that retelling at the end how it is almost always in some way thanks to the group absolutely like whenever he punches out one of the quote-unquote undead berserkers he breaks one of atalanta's arrows and then just basically wedges it between a couple of his fingers and then just clocks the guy in the forehead actually just creams him it's the May have been their champion, and he just downed it, which you thought they would have taken their will to the fight, but uh, no. Because they were quote-unquote undead, or they just laid a really good trap. Again, to another layer of that, it's constantly how things, even as they encounter them, it's not just Hercules' party that's embellishing the reality, but they are told before they even march out there that this army has found a way to have the undead or demons fight alongside them, which is this group of berserkers. But it's sort of like a thing that they did to further instill fear in their enemy is to create that story. Yeah, it's definitely a unique layering. And the more we talk about this, the more I look back and only ask myself one question. Did the king being the bad guy in his like long-term plot Did it feel good to you? To me, I had trouble digesting it. You mean the older gentleman, uh, Lord Codus, or do you mean... Lord Codus, yes. Okay, I thought you meant King Eurystheus. The blonde gentleman. The younger one. The one we only seem to catch flashbacks of? Right, and then he shows up at the end to get killed. Yeah. 
But yeah, we were talking about Lord Codus, right? Yes, Lord Codus, the one that tricks Hercules to train his army so that he can get rid of Hercules. I think they could have spent a little more time laying the groundwork for that turn reveal, the heel turn. Yeah, they had some opportunities, but they missed them. They just laid it out. (laughs) But I do enjoy it as a base thing. I would keep arguing that this whole thing sounds like a module for D&D. That would make sense, because there were a few opportunities if Ergina, the mother of the kid. Yeah, yeah. Arius. She had opportunities to kind of lay some possible groundwork for the fact that she's being held hostage. Because that seemed like it was a long-standing scenario, not something that just arose out of nowhere. So maybe that's why I had trouble with how it just came out. She did seem pretty comfortable, not really to say that it couldn't have been laid out better for the viewer, but she did seem somewhat comfortable in the idea that Lord Codis was old and he would die eventually. I think she felt safe enough in that up until the takedown of that rebellion ended so successfully. Especially being outnumbered three to one before the fight started. I think maybe she expected at the very least that they'd be able to get along to the point that her and her son would be safe enough. But then it quickly turned to where Lord Codis basically revealed his entire hand about plans for domination. And considering he made that alliance to have an empire with the other king, I don't think that her son would have ended up on the throne per se. I think maybe some things would have happened there from his will. There would have definitely been some backstabbing, some cheating and crossing... You know, at the same time, you notice they kept calling him the Lord of Thrace. And the way a lot of the Greek and Roman stuff was laid out is, yes, you had the king or the overall emperor. And they would then have lords that would take over specific city-states like Thrace and basically just rule over that like they are the top dog until Big Daddy King shows up and tells them what to do. So I think that was sort of the agreement. It's historically accurate, but I understand how it seems potentially weak. And yeah, the kid probably wouldn't have done well if he kept his virtue about him. Because he'd have been found out to not be so easily manipulated. And then he'd probably just be replaced by whoever would be a yes man. Probably killed and or assassinated him. I don't know. We went out hunting and he... Never returned. He bought a one-way ticket. To Deathville. To Beef City. To the back of my sword. Oops. I think one thing's for absolute sure. Codus seemed to have no qualms with killing his daughter. That's what makes him despicable. I know. He's an absolute dictate. It just, it all happened so fast. Because here's the deal, when that battle ended, when they went and crushed the, quote, rebellion, I was like, man, how long has this movie been going? And I brought up the time that was left. There was still 38 minutes left. I was like, oh, man, some other stuff's going to go down soon. But I got to say, overall, as a movie, the pacing felt consistent for the most part. 
The only thing that I tripped up on, and I would flag this for our future questions where I'm going to ask you some stuff, but this would kind of be my worst scene or bit that I didn't like, was them leaving Lord Codus's original location, knowing full well his army is not prepared. And I know I get the plot structure why, but it just didn't feel good in the sense that, like, he knows his army sucks. This is clearly a trap. Hercules knows it's not good. We know this is just going to end poorly. Probably could have tightened that whole thing up because you didn't need to throw that much action at us. It didn't feel like it was that long prior that we got the beating the pirates, even though that was at the beginning of the movie. I have respect for it because the movie had a story to tell and it told it without any piddling around, not a whole lot of embellishment. And it's rare to see action epics like that last under two hours. And this movie was just a little over an hour and a half, if I remember correctly. And yeah, the pacing was good. I didn't feel like any scene overstayed its welcome. I would kind of agree with Aaron on this. It's a mixture of that and time seems to move a little bit nebulously. Like, if that secondary training montage has anything to do with it, I mean... They trained for like a month, which for the compressed timeline, it's still, I would say, unreasonable to train a fighting force in that much time. And I don't want to have anyone legitimately consider this as a counter argument, because again, those are legitimate complaints and legitimate criticisms. But this is a retelling of whatever just happened. So timelines may be shrunken down for the in-universe listening audience that's a very good point in fact the more you say that this is literally a retelling the more i feel like that actually fits with how the story was presented i would say my least favorite scene would probably be the point where the group is trying to decide whether they're going to try and take down Lord Codis, because I feel like they needed to pocket Atoclius for that reveal later on that he was actually still there and, you know, he saves them in a clutch moment. It was a decent attempt to make you forget long enough that that happened before bringing him back, but it was too close. Well, I mean, the specific scene where they're trying to ground him and basically make his greed far greater than his attachment to his traveling party. Because I understand money was important to him, but they didn't telegraph that very much in previous interactions. So the fact that he was willing to leave the entire group after they pretty much otherwise unanimously decided to go back and take on Lord Codis, it seems like this was forced onto the character so he could sneak up on everyone later totally agree especially with the fact that earlier when ergina i'm never gonna pronounce her name right when the mom came and asked the group like no bullshit give me the hercules story and he actually goes off and like shares everybody's reasoning it's not oh i only hang out with hercules because he gives me big monies yeah, and if they had rewritten it to where he did say that, it would make a little more sense. It wouldn't feel as telegraphed that they specifically made him go away because they needed a surprise gotcha 
save. Yeah, from that perspective, where they pulled him out, then that's a huge telegraph that he's coming back. Yes. Because it doesn't fit with the character they've presented you. Right. I wasn't really fooled by that for a second. I knew he was going to come back. I just didn't know when. I assumed it was going to be some clutch moment. Because really, honestly, that's just not the spirit of what they were setting up. Him leaving would have been a pretty selfish act, which that's not really how these characters have been betrayed. Sure, they're doing all this for money, but you can see there's a camaraderie there and a companionship that defies monetary gain. Like when even the girl at Atlanta, she was like, you know, why would we leave? We stay with you because we're family. So, you know, somewhere up on Mount Olympus, Vin Diesel's just smiling down on everybody. Because <laughs> it's all about family. But again, if we take that turncoat moment and apply it back to the template of this being a retelling, maybe the group already knew that this was part of the pretense that Ataclius was going to leave, saying that it was for the money, just to make sure that anyone who was looking on at their leaving bought the story. Yeah. I did it all for the money. The what? The money. The what? The money. So, Aaron, what is your least favorite or a scene that you might consider the worst amongst this whole movie? Uh, Aaron's going to be like, this whole movie, and then mic drop. (laughs) It's all shit. Uh, I don't have a worst scene in mind, per se. I have a scene that made me laugh the loudest. Would you consider that maybe your favorite scene or? No, definitely not. I have a favorite scene, but for worst scene, I'll say worse in the context of how potentially bad it could have been for somebody. That scene with Eolus being suspended asks first over a wooden stake in the beginning. When they set that on fire, I mean, that was Vlad the Impaler would have been impressed. I think (laughs) Vlad would have been like. Not a bad idea. (laughs) He'd be like, hmm, I'm glad I could see this. I'll stop. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So, yeah, I can't really think of a worse scene, but that scene did tickle me. It would have been the worst outcome for Meolus, so I'll just cheat and say that's my worst scene. (laughs) So what's the scene that made you laugh and then roll that into your favorite scene? That's the scene that made me laugh. Oh, it also made you laugh. So it's your worst scene, but also your chuckliest. Indeed. My best scene. I'm all for, like, big harumph moments in movies. And when everything's seeing me really dire. And, like, my skin was actually crawling whenever they pulled Codus's daughter out of the cell and was about to, like, just decapitate her. That actress, I have to give it to her. She sold it. She sold the fear of about to be being killed. Going from curse you, the gods are going to curse you, to no, please, dad, don't do this. You know, just pleading. Equal parts pleading and cursing. Yeah, that was like all the stages of grief. Then you have Hercules feeling powerless and feeling defeated. And then his friend, the seer. Ampharius? Ampharius, yeah, saying like, who are you? And then he finally, just like while he's ripping his chains up, he was like, you know, I am Hercules! And then just jumped with the chain still attached to his wrist with the two boulders or chunks of rock that he pulled out of the structure and just obliterated the executioner. 
Like, I actually got tingles. Somebody decided to fuck around and then found out. Oh, they found out. Oh, Mercules gave it to him, man. Mercules? <laughs> like I said, I was going to affectionately call him Mercules because of he was a mercenary. So, yes, I'm a big fan of like, yeah, this is who I am, bitch. He just sold it so well. And I got tingles. And I think I might have actually cheered out loud during that scene. Amphirious. I don't think he knows who I am. Do you know who I am? He must not know who I am. <laughs> I'm the juggernaut, bitch. I'm the Herkonaut, bitch. <laughs> hmm. So yeah, that would be my favorite scene. And also, I think, the best scene for me personally. What about you, Manny? Oh, it's kind of a split call for me. Basically, it's either of the two scenes where Amphirius thinks that he's finally getting to the foretold death he was going to get so one of them is in that fight with the quote undead end quote army where they're shooting flaming arrows oh no that was a bit later that was after the training montage when they get their new gear and they're fighting the open quote centaurs close quotes yeah army the flaming arrows and he just like opens his arms and prepares to embrace oblivion and they all miss him that was like peak chuckle worthy for me the first time I saw it and then outright laughing out loud was later on in the movie when a flaming spear is coming at him when they're trying to escape Lord Codus's dungeon and again he's ready to take it in but Hercules who's rampaging on his way out sees the spear grabs it out of midair and chucks it back at the guy who threw it and kills him that was a critical hit to catch and reverse throw it at the enemy and amphirius is like excuse me that's my destiny i was supposed to die that's my destiny you just took away and he's like you're You're welcome welcome. (laughs) although having said that do you think that because a death needed that's why the other guy died the berserker oh that's a hard thing to consider dang yeah there's a few layers of this movie that of things you can consider. Yeah. What about you, Mike? What are your both favorite and least favorite scenes? Well, I've already told you my least favorite. So my favorite scene, I would have to say, was the bit right before the ending when it was the all out fight and they're pitching over the giant like cauldrons of oil that are lit on fire oh yeah and then hercules goes all berserker rage and uses the statue of hera to take everybody out the reason i like that is because it kind of unintentionally retouches the thing they said oh so long ago and it just left your mind by that moment it's a statue of hera and Hera supposedly hated him because he is the bastard child of Zeus. So what better way to kind of rehash that is the next tale about him is destroying the statue of Hera to defeat an evil army. Yeah. Again, it's all very symbolic. It builds on the legend. Did you have a scene that you just were confused by or... Didn't understand why it was in the film. Like, you would cut it if you had the opportunity. The movie's only an hour and a half long, so I feel like if you cut much else, then it wouldn't have been complete. 
I can't really think of anything that I would have cut personally or scenes that I was confused by. Ooh, all right. If we're being, if you don't take something out of this bin, I'm taking it all to Goodwill. I would say the scene where he gives <laughs> the kid the Nemean lion's fang. I mean, it's heartwarming and all, but we already understood that this kid was like Gaga for Hercules' legend. What? He didn't mention much about memorizing all of the labors that Hercules achieved and constantly restating that. Buxom Amazons and exciting bondage. Do you even know what that means? No, but I read about it. <laughs> oh, the innocence of youth. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good scene to cut. I think the only thing I might have done is trim down the undead fight itself because i don't know maybe it was just me i anticipated this being a defeat moment because it was so clearly telegraphed in my mind so they could have trimmed it down because we already know what's gonna happen sure you're gonna survive but this is you basically being routed you're gonna lose a lot of guys and you're gonna have to reorganize and then battle training montage which is exactly what we got yeah i can part with that if it was the famed mic cut of the film and we were like well this is the only one we're keeping and i'm like well i guess it's not that bad yeah that's my only alternate suggestion so with that alternate suggestion i'd love to hear final thoughts about the movie overall how do you take it would you recommend this to other people is it one you'd pick up and watch again in the future? Maybe for entertainment's sake or to remind yourself that it was that bad? I think this movie got robbed. While I don't think it was as amusing as Guardians of the Galaxy the first time around, I feel that it came out in the wrong season, next to the wrong movie, got steamrolled because just reading back on the reviews for that the at the time reviews that was constantly what it was being compared to and i don't think it's that much worse in comparison because it's one of those things of like look you have enough time in your life you can watch both movies don't worry about it you're talking about this like it's oh one of these movies has to perish i had a blast every time i watch this movie i have a blast it had been a couple of years, and then I watched it, and I was floored. This was probably one of the better pieces of Hercules media I've seen, to put a cap on it, because I feel like I have to reiterate this. I think it's because of the message in it, because it's so unusual to find any piece of Hercules media, and especially any piece of media at around that period of time of its release, that was fulfillingly about a group of protagonists where they all felt important, where they didn't just feel like they were just there. I guess compare it to the cast in the Suicide Squad or Suicide Squad, either of them. They don't feel like they have any chemistry together. While to me, this group at least feels like they are believably traveling buddies. I can see that. For my take, one of my favorite things about this film was the imagery, especially the explanation of how the mythos broke down into the human element. Like when he fought the Hydra, 
it was actually just humans that had snake skin hats or the centaurs because of the light and the sun being in their eyes. It looked like the torsos of the humans were further up on the horse, thus making them centaurs. But when they rode down and were out of the blinding light, you could tell, oh, no, it's just humans on horseback. But probably my favorite one was the imagery of Cerberus not being a three-headed dog, but just being three dogs, wolves that were chained so closely together that it gave the appearance of a three-headed dog. I really liked the imagery in this film, and the action scenes were good. The characterizations were pretty good. Ultimately, I think this movie had a lot of good ideas, but honestly, the final product was just kind of a little underwhelming for me personally. I can't even probably describe what it is. I just felt a little underwhelmed. I will watch it again sometime because sometimes I'll appreciate a movie more later. I don't know if it was just the mood I was in. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not horrible. It is a great popcorn and Coke film. Like, it's a great action film. It was just lacking a little bit of the substance, I guess, for me. Maybe I'm split in the middle here. I thoroughly enjoyed it if I just kind of take it at face value. I liked how it sweetened the pot with breaking the mythology versus the human aspects of the actual stories and how they came to be. And that getting weaved into every scene, there's always that little tweak and tell in there. Like, this might not be what actually happened, but a glorified version of what happened. Or just uh, toned up to make it more enjoyable to hear about. Some of the acting was, eh, it's all right. Wasn't the worst, wasn't the best. I think the season that this came out, when looking at it, it definitely hurt the box office numbers for it. The script was all right. The cast was good. Like, I liked all the cast that they got. I'd watch it again. It was enjoyable for what it was. I'd half recommend it to people. If there are some other movies that they liked, I think I could classify this against. I would recommend it, but I think I'm just going to cut right to the chase and I'm going to give you my rating of this. I would put this movie as Herks and Jerks because there were some good... Jerkules? Jerkules. I'm going to classify this as Jerkules. Yeah, that'll be what it is. Herks, Jerkules, or Jerks. Then, under that scale, I rate it as Hercules. And I, because I have to be a contrarian, and I have to put my own spin on this, I'm going to rate this film Mercules. Mercules? Because of all the gold that they got? Because of all the gold they got. Twice his weight in gold. That's because it's his greatest queen. It's Freddie Mercules. <laughs> <laughs> If you love us or hate us, go ahead and rate us. Click that subscribe button. If you have to go out, wear a mask, especially if it's high risk. Don't touch your face. Always wash those hands. And please, don't be on fire. Follow us on our social media, Facebook at Banter Bantercast, Twitter at Banter underscore cast. You can find me at Mike8Time on the Twits. 
You can find me on Twitter at 8BitWizard. The 8 is Roman numerical. Or you can find me, your boy Manny, at BrogarCRE. This year's art was provided to us by Valeria on Instagram at Valerian underscore root. Link in the description down below. Show us some love and support. Our intro and outro theme are Caravan Bowser by Flexstyle and XPRT Novice. And you can find them over at Overclocked Remix. Give it a listen, yo.